June 23rd, 2010, will be a day that I never forget. At around midnight, um, I was waiting outside an operating room um, for my wife to come out, and, or actually for the doctor to come out and say, hey, you can come in and um, watch the doctor deliver your baby. Um, and they said a couple minutes, but I waited and I waited and I waited. Um, and about a half an hour or so later, the doctor came out and she said, uh, your wife, um, we had to put her down, like, with the pain meds. And uh, so we had to let her wait a little bit. Um, and she's going to be under for another hour or so. But here's your kid. And so I got to take him back to our hotel room. And then for the first hour and a half, what? What did I say? Hotel? <laughs> All right. I got to take him back to the hospital room, and for the first hour and a half of his life, I just got to spend looking at him and, you know, meeting him, and it was really cool. And as I sat there in that hospital room, staring at that kid, I never imagined that he would totally wreck my life. <laughs> and the truth is, he totally did. And as I sat there contemplating in the next couple months, like, where did all that sleep that I was supposed to have go? Where did all that time I was supposed to spend doing my hobbies, where did all that go? Like, honestly, I feel like during those times when he just totally turned my life upside down, I was prone to be angry. And it was really hard having him just come in and change my life. And like I said, at times it made me angry. And it wasn't that I was angry that I had a kid, because I love him like crazy. But I also realized that having a kid really revealed the selfishness of my heart. And I see how that anger wasn't healthy. And I didn't like the fact that this was making me angry. So in the past year or so, I've been spending a lot of time researching anger and finding out, okay, what is it and how do I stop it from ruining my life? And I'm excited today that the, the week that Brandon was out on vacation was the week that falls to anger because I feel like um, there's a lot of research that I put into this that I get to share with you right now. But we also get to talk about um, how James talks about anger tonight. So I would like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 19. And we're going to read verses 19 and 21. While you're turning in that, let's pray for this message. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the Bible and for how we can learn about things like anger and stuff that really affects us. Lord, I pray today that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say for us. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit this morning and help me to say what you want to say, not what I want to say. But may this be the message for, from you for this congregation. I pray that it would help them um, in handling their anger. Amen. All right, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. In this passage, it really is, is kind of blunt. James is kind of like, get rid of anger. And the image that's portrayed here is kind of like when, you know, you're walking down the street and you're all happy, you're chill, you got your favorite tunes in your iPod and you're rocking out, and all of a sudden you walk into a spider web and you turn into like a finalist on Dancing with the Stars, you're like, get it off! And you just like go crazy, you're like, get it off! Because you hate the, the idea of a spider web being on you. And that's kind of the idea that James portrays here in this passage. Like, just get it off. And I don't know about you, but I, I think sometimes it's, it's harder than that, right? Because anger can be one of those emotions that just seeks to take over. But I think as we dive deeper into this passage, we'll see that James also gives us ways to overcome our anger. And I think one of the first things, though, that we need is to understand what is this thing called anger? What is it? Well, oftentimes in the Bible, it talks about God himself getting angry. And since we know that God never sins, I think it's safe to conclude that anger in and of itself is not a sin. In fact, I think anger is something that's derived from two aspects of God's character. It's not, anger is not one of God's characteristics. Like you couldn't say God is angry. You can say God is holy and God is love, but you can't say God is angry necessarily, not in the like equal way, all right? Holiness, which is one of the aspects that this derives from, means that God is set apart from sin. He has no part with sin. In other words, he has never done it. He's never going to. And it's just something that's completely separate from him. Kind of like the Chicago Cubs in winning. Um, but even more so. Um, and the other characteristic is God's love. In other words, God has this like deep, intense care for each one of us. And so where anger comes into play is when God sees the people that he loves intensely being distracted or being interfered with with sin, it makes him angry. And because we are made in God's image, in other words, he made us with some of his characteristics, he also made us with the capacity to get angry. And I would like to argue that this is a gift because the purpose of anger is for us to see when something is wrong, when something is evil, and to respond to it. Like when you turn on the TV and you hear on the news story that some mother abandoned her baby in a dumpster, like something horrible like that, I would argue it's a healthy response to be like, that's bad. And I, that, that response is anger in a healthy way. So you're probably sitting there thinking, okay, this is cool. Like God gets angry, right? And he made us to get angry so that we will be like repulsed by evil and be repulsed by wrong things. 
So what happened? Well, you see in Genesis 3, there was this tree that Adam and Eve weren't supposed to eat from. A snake came along and tempted them and said, hey, you should eat this tree. It's going to be awesome. And Adam and Eve did that. They decided, like, yeah, let's not trust God. Let's trust the snake. And they ate from the fruit. And what happened was our entire world got distorted. It got messed up, including anger. Our anger is now distorted by sin. And now, because of that, there are really two effects. I think, A, we get angry at the wrong things. We get angry at things that aren't necessarily sin. And two, the way we handle our anger, even anger against things that are bad, we handle it wrongly. And I think now there are really two kinds of anger. There's something called definitive anger and distorted anger, which we're going to take a minute now and compare and contrast the two. In the, in the passage of James that we are looking at today, it says, be slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. But I think there's a difference between God's anger and man's anger. When we talk about God's anger, we're talking about definitive anger, whereas I would say man's anger is distorted. In definitive anger comes when you see something that is evil, it's wrong, and you're repulsed by it. It's actually something that's bad, right? Whereas distorted anger is born out of selfishness, right? It comes from your desires to make yourself great. Or definitive anger can become from not getting what you deserve, right? And this makes sense even with with God's anger, because does God not deserve our respect and our loyalty and us following him perfectly? I mean, that, that's really what he deserves. And when we sin, he's not getting what he deserves as a holy, loving God. But man's anger simply comes from not getting what we want. Definitive anger understands the entire picture. It has all the facts. Whereas distorted anger, you're missing a few pieces, and so you might not understand the complete story. And so, you, you know, you've, I'm sure you've all experienced that. You know, you've probably been angry at someone, and then you learned something else that attributed to why they acted like you did, and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I guess I shouldn't have been angry like that. And I would say definitive anger is valid, whereas distorted anger is invalid. It's bad. It's, that's the, the really hard stuff. And when we think about anger, that's definitive. Sometimes, though, it can have a bad effect on us. Because sometimes things happen in our life that are really hard, right? Like a spouse cheats on us. Or our father or our mother abandons us when we're a kid. A boss treats us unfairly at work and we're cheated out of a raise or out of a promotion that we really feel like we've worked hard for. Sometimes anger, even though it's definitive and it's angry at the wrong things, I think we can still sometimes handle it wrongly. And I like to look at anger as this idea of an unpaid debt. In other words, in the idea of your 
father leaving you and you're a child abandoning you. You feel like your dad owes it to you. He should have been there for you. He should have cared for you when he was a child. He should have spent time with you. And you, you get this correct idea, right? That he should have been there. He owes that to you. And I would say that anytime you get angry, you can see how it is an unpaid debt that you feel like that person owed it to you. Take, for instance, driving in the left lane. You're passing someone up, and there's somebody sitting there in the left lane. They're not passing anyone. They're just sitting there. And you're sitting there thinking, dude, this is my lane. Why are you sitting in my lane? You owe me the respect to move over and allow me to pass because you're not going as fast as I am. You owe me this lane. Really, anger is an unpaid debt. The difficult thing is that a lot of times this is an unpaid debt that can never really be paid. How does a father who abandoned his children when they were young, how does he ever repay that? How does a spouse that has cheated on, her, on his or her husband or wife, how do they ever repay that? A lot of these things that make us angry in the past simply cannot be repaid. There's just no way. What's done is done. And even if that person were to come and apologize, oftentimes an apology can't erase the experience that we're facing. And what ends up happening is we take this anger that we have toward this person and we bury it deep down inside. And the thing about anger is it grows in secrecy. When we choose to bury our anger, it doesn't just sit there and go away. But in fact, it begins to grow. And it begins to take over the way we look at life. It changes the way we treat one another. And it changes the way that we have an outlook on life, which is all very bad things. And the difficult part of this is that anger always intensifies and spreads when it's in the dark. And we see this in the James passage in verse 21 where it talks about the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Just talking about how when we hide our anger, it literally grows to a point where it becomes a part of who we are. And I think that eventually we can get to this place where we feel like everyone owes me. And we can get to this place in our lives when we feel like we don't even want to give people a chance. Because we, before we even meet them, we think, you know what, this person's going to fail to give me what I, meet, what I need. And I'm not even going to give them an opportunity to let me down. And I'm sure that you've met, at the very least, someone who's been like that, that's just angry at everything. Nothing can please them. And I think that it's a safe bet to say that many of us in this room have something from our past that's holding on to us and that we're holding on to. 
And you probably have a compelling story as to why your anger toward that event or toward that person is legitimate. And it's probably a story that you've never told. And it was something that happened in your past that you allowed to get lodged to your heart. Then the thing grew tentacles and it wrapped itself around your personality, your demeanor, and your outlook on life. And you were probably so embarrassed by this thing that you were afraid to tell anyone that this anger was starting to take over. And so you kept it hidden and allowed it to keep growing. And now you're afraid to tell your story for fear that if this anger gets out, you might have to come to the realization that you're going to have to let go of something that has become a part of you. However, many times when your story comes to light and it's exposed by telling someone else, it loses its potency. If this is you, that you've been holding on to something from the past and you've allowed it to grow inside of you and eat you alive, do you realize you could be one story away from freedom? That by telling your story to someone and letting them help you through your anger, you could be opening the door to that freedom. To letting go of this thing that has held you captive. After the service, we have people up here really every Sunday that pray with people. And I would strongly encourage you, if you're holding on to anger, to come up here and tell, you that, tell them your story and allow them to pray with you. If you're uncomfortable because you feel like you don't know them, then find someone who you know and trust. Tell your story and don't allow that anger to continue to have its hold on you. Although some people tend to bury their anger and hide it away so that nobody sees it, other people take a different approach. You've probably met someone like this too. They're the people that whenever they are caught acting badly in life, they almost use their story as an excuse. They're quick to tell their story of, hey, this happened to me when I was a kid and this is why I'm this way. And the truth is, your story might justify you acting that way. The truth is, it really doesn't excuse it. And I think using past hurts and past anger as a crutch isn't really a healthy way to live your life either. And your story is missing something. Your story is missing a discipline that empties your anger of its power. And that's something we're going to talk about next. And that discipline is forgiveness. The difficult thing about forgiveness is that it doesn't make any sense. Right? Why should we forgive someone who's done something bad to us in the past? But the other truth is, every single one of us in this room has done something sinful in our lives. We've done something that we knew was wrong and we chose to partake in it. In other words, we've done something that makes God angry. God does not like sin. When he sees sin, it makes him angry. Every one of us in this room, including you, is responsible for making God angry. But how did God deal with his anger? You guys, 
there's a lot of times in the Bible that we think of when we think of God's anger. Some people are like, what's the greatest demonstration of God's anger? Well, some people would say the flood. Other people might say the tribulation. Other people might say Sodom and Gomorrah. But the truth is, the greatest demonstration of God's wrath was the cross. Even though we were responsible for making God angry with our sin, He chose to take on flesh and walk this earth with us and allow Himself to be nailed to a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. You guys, God dealt with anger by crucifying, him, crucifying Himself and taking the penalty. And I believe that as Christians, we need to view forgiveness through the lens of the cross. In other words, when we see how God crucified himself for us, we need to take our need to get what we want and crucify that to the cross, just like God did. And I would like to say that when you are struggling to forgive someone, it's probably because you are, are focusing more on what they did to you than what God did for you. But like I said, forgiveness doesn't make sense unless you follow Jesus and view forgiveness through the lens of the cross. Because you see, forgiveness is never something that is done because the person deserves it. I think forgiveness by definition is undeserved. No, we don't forgive people because they deserve it. We forgive people because we've experienced it. And because we have forgiven, we have been forgiven, we have the power to forgive. And I think that anger is not just, I'm sorry, forgiveness is not for the person who made you angry. Because the truth is, they don't need forgiveness, at least not yet. What they need is repentance. And it's not really until they repent that forgiveness is going to do them any good. But I think that anger is partially for the person who has been angered. Because forgiveness allows you to let go. In other words, God's forgiveness forgives us of our sin, releases us from our sin. Forgiveness, our forgiveness when we forgive, releases us from other people's sin and allows us to walk away and say, you know what, they did that to me, that's all right. I'm not going to let that drag me down anymore. I'm going to be released from that. So then there's the question, all right, I definitely see that we should forgive and that it's good and that we should be released, but how do we do it? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you. I think there's some key steps that we need to take in learning how to forgive. Step one is identify the debtor. Who made you angry? And I think it's really important to specifically figure out who hurt you in the past. I would even go as much as say that it would be good to make a list of writing down the names of the people that hurt you and be specific. Secondly, 
identify the debt. In other words, what does this person owe me? And what could they do to repay me? I think it's really important to be specific about these two things. Because a lot of times we hear stories about people like, man, I'm so angry at this person. And they're like, well, or you, you say to them, you, you really need to forgive that person. And they're like, well, I did. And generally, if you dig deeper, you find out that they basically just was like, I forgive this person, and they weren't very specific. But I think it's really important to be specific. I'm going to tell you why in a few minutes. But I think it's really important, like I said, to identify who your debtor is and what they owe you, and again, what they need to do to repay you back. If this is something like, you know, somebody hit my car, put a huge dent in my bumper, and then drove away, you know, you could write down, well, in order to repay me, they could, you know, come apologize and pay for my new bumper. If it's something that can't be repaid, then write down, they could invent a time machine and go back in time and not do that thing. I think it's, even if it's just that, I think that's important to write down the specific thing of who did it and what, why they did it, and here's why. Step three is to choose to cancel the debt. This means that you look and, and you think about what that person did and, and who they are, and you say, you know what, this is what they owe me, but I'm going to forgive them of that debt. They no longer owe me this debt at all. And sometimes this can be a simple cognitive decision and where you make a statement that is similar to this. Heavenly Father, blank has taken blank from me. I have held down to this debt long enough and I choose to cancel the debt. Blank doesn't owe me anymore. I forgive them, just like you forgave me. And sometimes, canceling the debt can just be a statement that you release in your mind. For other big things that you really feel are hurting you and that you're really holding on to, I feel like doing something a little more tangible is a good idea. One idea would be like to set up a table with two chairs, and you sit in one and you pretend like the other chair is the other person. That chair represents them. And you read off your list to that person. And you say, you did this to me. That hurt me. You did this to me. That hurt me. And there's all these things that you did to me that I've been holding on. And then you, you look at them and or you imagine looking at them and you say, you know what? You did these things, but I forgive you. Because of what Christ has done to forgive me, I'm going to forgive you. And then you get up out of your chair and you walk away to signify that that event has taken place, that you have forgiven that person. Other people like to take their list and burn it to signify that that debt has been burned up. Another thing that some people like to do is to take their list and nail it to a cross. And if you'd like, there's a hammer and some nails up here that if you'd like to take your list and fold it in half, and nail it to a cross to signify that you're getting rid of it. I'll make sure that it's disposed of and that no one ever sees it. But doing these cognitive things, I think, is really important. 
And I think if the person has taken the steps of repentance and has apologized to you for what they did, it's always appropriate to go and talk to that person directly and forgive them face to face. But I understand that sometimes that's not always possible. The fourth step, and this is why I think it's important to do something tangible, is to close the account. In other words, you choose to not allow that anger affect you anymore. And that is a choice. And when you're tempted later on to remember that debt, the offense that that person has done, you can look excuse me, back on that event where you chose to forgive that person. And when you're tempted to be angry, you can say, you know what, I don't got to be angry about this anymore. I have forgiven that person. And you can lean on that. And Brandon, two weeks ago, showed something that is, I think is really helpful. It's the fact-faith-feeling train. And it's this idea that we need to put our faith in the facts and allow our feelings to follow afterwards. And in this particular case, when we're tempted to bring up past mistakes that somebody has done and be angry even though we've forgiven them, we can put our faith in the fact that we have forgiven that person. And we can recall that event when we you know, set up that chair and we've declared them forgiven or we burn that piece of paper and we can say, you know what, even though right now I'm tempted to hold this sin against them once again, I remember that I've forgiven them. And I've done that. And I don't need to be angry anymore. And I know that sometimes the feelings are still there. But I agree with Brandon that if we continue to make it a habit to put our faith in facts and not feelings, our feelings will follow suit, if not eventually. Because forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. And if you can cling to the fact that you have forgiven that person, your feelings will change and you will be free from that anger that you've held against that person. We've talked now about anger that we've had from the past. I want to take a couple of moments to talk about the rage that we sometimes have, that emotion in us that wants us to just boil over when some but he does something to us and we don't get what we want. And I think there are five steps to learning how to control rage. The first one is to cognitively acknowledge that you're angry. Don't be like, well, I'm not really angry. I'm just disappointed. I'm sad. Just be real with yourself and say, you know what? This person did something. I'm angry. That's okay. Like I said, anger in and of itself is not a sin. It's what you do with it. That's a sin. Step two is avoid your initial response. For some people, this is to explode and to get mad and to jump up and punch the person. Or maybe it's to swear. Or maybe it's to get really angry and yell. For other people, it's to withdraw and to go hide and, and to stew and let it go deep in, inside them. But neither one of those responses is a healthy response to anger. Step three, invite God into the situation. God knows you're angry. Acknowledge to him that I'm angry. Just say a simple prayer and say, hey God, I'm really angry right now. And I'm really tempted to do something that I'll later regret. 
can you help me right now? Because I'm angry. I need your help. Step four, identify in your head what made you angry. And to do this, I think, aside from the obvious of, okay, this, this person did something to make me angry, I think you need to ask yourselves two questions. First one, is what they did, was that wrong? Is that a sin that they committed? Or was it just something that they did that got in my way that wasn't a sin? The second question you can ask is, do I have all the facts? Do I know the entire story? And I think during this stage, especially if the person's right in front of you making you angry, I think it's, you know, appropriate to say, hey, what's going on here? You know, to start talking to them. And that's really the fifth step, to figure out and execute the best course of action. In other words, that's really two things. Do I need to confront this person and say, hey, what you're doing is bad. This is hurting me. Can you knock it off? You maybe want to say it a little nicer than that. But that's kind of the gist of what you want to say. Or the other question is, do I need to just let this go and not allow this to continue to eat me alive? And I think those, if you follow those five steps, you can learn how to not boil over in rage. Those are good things. I want to take a moment now to come back to the James passage and show you how this all fits together. James starts off in verse 19. My brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. In other words, get all the facts. Slow to speak. Calm down your initial idea of raging or running away. And slow to become angry. In other words, don't let this powerful emotion control you in a distorted way. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. No, instead we saw that anger, when we hold on to it, can poison us. It can take us to be people that we don't want to be. So then the question remains, what brings about God's righteousness? Faith in Christ. Embracing the forgiveness that he's given to us. And then sharing that forgiveness with the people around us. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. You guys, the gospel, the good news that Jesus died to save our sins is not just the doorway that we go into so we can get to heaven. It's the path that we take on our journey as we live life with God. If we want to overcome anger, we need to allow God to be at work in our lives and to surrender the things that make us angry over to Him. Over the past few months as I've been studying anger, I can really see how using the principles that I've talked about today has helped me to not be so angry when little things come in and threaten to take away what I want 
And it's also allowed me to let go of some of the hurts that I've held down to from the past to the point where I can now go to bed at night with a clean heart that is not holding on to anger. There is hope, you guys. Anger doesn't have to control you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for your Son. Lord, that we don't have to sit here and revel in our sin, but we can look to the cross and remember that we have been forgiven by the blood of your Son. And that when you were angry, you dealt with it yourself and forgave us. Lord, I pray that as followers of Christ, that you would help us to do the same. That you would help us to embrace forgiveness and to be free from anger that seeks to control us. But instead, we can show mercy to the people around us who hurt us as we continue to grow to be the children that you desire us to be. Amen.